Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who were diagnosed with melanoma. Graham, who was diagnosed in 2010 and has been treated with surgery, radiotherapy and a genetic therapy clinical trial. Alison, who was diagnosed in 2015 and was treated with surgery. And Ron, who was first diagnosed in 2014. His treatment has consisted of surgery as well as an immunotherapy clinical trial. You can find information and support for people with melanoma at melanomapatients.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. Uh, August 2010, um, I felt a lump on the side of my head. Um, no pain with it at all. I could just found a lump uh, when I was washing my hair. So I saw my GP and he wasn't sure, so he referred me to a, a plastic surgery uh, who saw me and said uh, very promptly, this is a melanoma and it's got to come out next week. So he ordered uh, an operation to remove the primer, primer from behind my ear uh, the following week. So he then referred me on to a, an ontho- oncologist who put on... Um, a couple of scans, CT scan, PET scan and so on to see if there was any other obvious. And there wasn't, there was no signs anywhere else, which was fine. Until about late November that year, so a couple of months later, I found another uh, soreness and lump behind my ear where the original um, tumour was. Uh, That was admitted um, and pathology again and it was melanoma again. Well, I had, um, for about 18 months beforehand, been told the lesion was a um, BCC. So eventually my husband said, look, you need to get this looked at. He was sick of it bleeding. (laughs) It was on my back. So I um, went and um, had day surgery, had it cut out, and then it came back as a melanoma. Called back the next day after the operation to see the uh, surgeon and that's when he uh, told us that it was a melanoma. The next day um, I was scheduled to have a wired excision done, so more surgery. Um, it, also, it all happened so quickly I, I didn't have time. I, just, I was too busy thinking of the worst to think about where I, what I should be know, you know, what I should find out, um, what information I needed. Originally, um, there were various um, lumps removed from my upper body by a uh, cosmetic surgeon. I was having frequent checks, and over a, a period of uh, 10 to 15 years, a couple of those turned out to be uh, melanomas, and we, uh, I understood from the pathology reports they were totally removed, exercised. After I noticed these uh, numerous lumps in my neck in February of this year, 
uh, subsequent to um, x-rays, I discovered that I had a uh, serious diagnosis of uh, metastasized melanomas on both sides of my neck. I certainly uh, got a shock and um, I had thoughts of maybe not seeing the year out and so forth, which was fairly scary. Um, and I was annoyed with myself for not giving the lumps a priority earlier. I thought I probably was a typical male and thought I was okay. After I had the second operation, I um, then started to research um, more on the internet and you quickly found out what were the reputable sites and what weren't. Um, so I then started to gain some more information and I realised I, I realised that the, um, the diagnosis was pretty bad at that point and I was still waiting on that, the scan results to come back so there was all that anxiety. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. A lot of my treatment, there wasn't a, a long debate about, there weren't too many options. Uh, so treatment was fairly straightforward, very helpful to have as much inf information about that treatment process, um, but relatively straightforward because there wasn't a lot of options. You know, do we go this way, do we go that way, do we take this drug, do we have this surgery, those sorts of things. They were all fairly straightforward. So talking to the uh, professionals was helpful. It confirmed what I probably knew anyway. As I said, my, my, my knowledge was reasonable about my, uh, my cancer. So to confirm it with one, two, three professionals along the way through treatment was, was, was very reassuring um, and confirmed where I thought we were headed anyway. The first decision to make was to have a wide local excision. So then what they do there is they cut a larger um, amount of skin away to make sure that there's no melanoma left. Um, with people who've had the uh, type of melanoma that I had, they often do a, sen um, a sentinel lymph node biopsy. However, that was I, I was advised not to have it and I took that advice um, I then since found out that it, I should have had it, but I had to move on from there. So after the uh, second surgery, this, this wide excision, I, um, it was just in terms of my, my physical being, it was just recuperation and then onto a surveillance schedule that thereafter. I uh, started dealing with the people at the Alfred. I tended to go back there with weekly if not more and it seemed that each time we went the uh, diagnosis became more and more serious. In fact one of the early uh, reports I was given that was that my particular cancer uh, was amongst the five percent of most difficult cases to uh, have a positive outcome from. So I realised how serious it was and there was some time before I had the option of uh, having surgery, but major surgery was recommended and I didn't hesitate to uh, embark on that journey. I was dealing mainly with one specialist, but after, during a period
period of weeks when I had various tests, MRIs, PET scans and the like, um, I did get some response from other specialists, but basically uh, after being introduced to the surgeon <coughs> uh, that specialises in my type of treatment, I um, basically took his advice and booked him in as soon as possible. What I wish now is that I had been given more time between the two surgeries, and that is something I would highly recommend to people. You're not going to die the next day. You can, you know, a week's grace is going to be okay, and that would have given me some time to do some more research and to ask some more questions, to speak to my, my doctor again. For the consultations at the Alfred prior to surgery, I took my um, partner, Deb, who um, was there, well, she was a great support emotionally. Um, she was very compassionate for me and uh, I took it there also as a memory aid because the information I was getting was uh, verbal and uh, I wasn't, didn't want to be taking notes myself because I wanted to concentrate on what, what I was being told. During the few weeks prior to surgery, when I was going to the Alfred regularly, I was very confident uh, with their uh, abilities and professionalism. In fact, what they tended to do uh, was uh, run various tests and consult in the morning. Um, and then they'd invite me to come back in the afternoon after the team of specialists that had a conference and discuss my case, being radiologists and um, surgeons and various other experts. So the fact that my case was being discussed by the best available experts gave me confidence in the treatment part. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects and they can vary from person to person depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. So my oncologist referred me to Peter Mac um, at, uh, at, in town where I had a lymphonidectomy. There was a lymph node that had um, manifested itself in uh, melanoma, um, but it was only one and it wasn't deemed to be needing radiology at the time, which was fine. Back into the regular CT scan, scans and so on again. And then six months later, so it was now um, May, June 2011, and another one had turned up exactly the same. Back into Peter Mac again, yet another lymphonidectomy. So it was about September I started radiotherapy. Um, I came out of the, of the radiotherapy in October, and I then had a, a lump feeling in my... Um, my stomach near my um, uh, abdominal. The radiologist wasn't really sure what it was, so I went off for another pathology, and this occasion was deemed to be melanoma again. So in another few months, I'd turned up at this stage, not in a lymph node. It was in my torso. Off for another PET scan, four torsos had actually turned up. So my treatment going forward after the surgery was to have surveillance checkups. 
so I started doing those. But however, after doing a lot of re after settling down after the initial diagnosis and the initial surgery, I did a lot of research, and I realised that this surveillance schedule, the checkup plan that had been given to me, wasn't um, as good as I thought it could be, and there were other uh, organised there were other hospitals offering a better surveillance follow-up plan. So I then had to, I decided to seek a second opinion and that was a little bit daunting because you always worry that the doctor's going to say no um, or get upset but um, I persevered and it was fine. You know, I think asking for a second opinion is um, run of the mill for these doctors. They don't mind at all. Since uh, my major surgery in um, April of this year, I well, the I understood the initial outcome was that um, they had uh, removed all the tumours in my neck. They actually took out 54 lymph glands and uh, two surface parotid glands, um, but uh, pathology after the surgery did reveal that there was still some. Uh, cancer in my neck so I uh, had further consultations at the Alfred with um, radiologists and oncologists and so forth the, the treatment um, recommended after that by my oncologist was um, to endeavour to qualify for a, um, a trial of uh, a medical trial with um, to immunotherapy drugs and I started treatment in August with two, a cocktail of immunotherapy drugs. They were three weeks apart and um, by uh, and there was a six week break at one stage but by the 7th of December of this year I was actually uh, in, told I was in full remission from the cancer which was uh, the best Christmas present I've ever had. My clinical trials uh, have become everything to me. Um, as I said before, I became metastatic in November 2011 when the uh, melanoma had spread and it turned up in my torso, a good distance away from the primary. So surgery was no longer a long-term option. And my oncologist then introduced me to a drug trial, things that happened very quickly for 12 months. If this brought me 12, another 12, 18 months where things were stable, that was good. That was five years ago and I'm still here. That BRAF MEK inhibitor drugs that I've been on through the Austin have been remarkable. I'm, as I said, five years later, I've had a couple of uh, hiccups in my brain. I've had a couple of tumours that have occurred over that time, but they have been treatable. The doctor that I then started seeing, he was a very kind and compassionate man. He uh, was calm. He just said, this is what we'll do. He, he laid out a plan. He gave me the reasons why. And he said, so I'll see you every uh, four months. And then at each of those visits, you can have nodal ultrasounds. Because remember, I hadn't had my, um, nodal, my uh, lymph nodes checked through the second surgery. 
So he said, well, you'll see me every four months, we'll have nodal ultrasounds, and then every year we'll do a CT PET scan. So having, having read all the literature, this was perfect. This is what uh, um, I wanted to have. Having the nodal ultrasounds every four months is anxiety producing because you do worry each time if it's going to come back normal. Um, I, a lot of ca uh, cancer patients refer to that time as prior to having the scan as anxiety, worrying and thinking the worst and planning for the worst. The For me, the worst time is when I have my annual CT PET scan and my anxiety levels about that um, pretty much go through the roof. In addition, family and friends, in terms of support, uh, whilst I was going through this journey, I did um, find the Cancer Council helpful. Uh, I read some of their booklets on um, diet and um, various aspects of uh, the journey, including um, advice on intimacy and family relationships and so forth. I also um, rang the Cancer Council helpline for some advice, which, um, to be honest, I'm a bit fuzzy on what it was about, but I remember um, making the call and, and uh, following up on the recommendations. I was having real stress, I think. I didn't know it at the time, um, but after my first brain tumour occurred, uh, the surgery that followed was very successful, very good. I had some radiotherapy, very good. But every time I had scans coming due again, my headaches would start to rise. And when they were clear, the headaches would go away. So I sort of sat back and thought, well, there's no second tumour there, so I'm creating a lot of this myself. So I went to see some psychologist help to see how I could manage that a little bit better because it was clearly I was creating a lot of these problems myself. So how did I manage those? And uh, I, I spent oh, six, eight months, I suppose, on a regular basis talking to the uh, psychologist. And they were very helpful. They, they uh, gave me a, a whole bunch of different options about ways I could handle those sorts of things. As it happens, the thing that worked both, but, uh, best for me was that the physical uh, work that I could do. Uh, now, the drugs that I'm on, fatigue, is something that limits me, but just simple as walking my dog every day for an hour uh, was, was worthwhile. It was a blank time because my dog didn't talk to me much. He just liked to go for a walk. It just gave me time to think things through, uh, reject, look forward, look back, process the, the naughty bits, process the good bits, have time to think it through, and I'd come home from a walk around the block much more clearly than I walked away. You can't afford to be a passive um, passenger. You cannot afford to be a passenger when you are diagnosed with cancer. You are, I understand that people are shocked and upset when they're first diagnosed, but eventually you have to take, you have to see what's out there and decide what you want to do. And that's why time is so important. That's what I mentioned earlier. You do have to develop some trust in doctors. I mean, they are the experts, but by the same token, you still need to question what they're doing and do some research as well. I had to find out as much as I could to keep, just to, for peace of mind, that was my way of coping, 
The other thing was I would, um, after each of my visits with my doctor, I would um, start writing down questions as a result of my research. So by the time I went to see him every four months, we had a couple of A4 pages to get through. <laughs> um, but that was good. He didn't mind at all. And sometimes it was the dumb questions that I asked that really put the jigsaw together for me. It was That was really good. So I say don't ever be afraid to ask what you might consider a dumb question. Really, they, I know everyone says there's no such thing as one. There really isn't. Because, it, like I said, it can just help things gel for you and give you a better understanding. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. One of the attitudes I've had right from the very early days was not to second guess what might or might not be around the corner. That was certainly where my head was early days, was worrying about ABC happening or not happening. Um, and then when you got there, you started to worry about things happening or not happening. It just seemed to me to get you into dark places uh, and confused places. Um, so from a very early day, very, very early day, I tried to take it one day at a time. Um, just approach things as they came. If there were good days, there were good days. If there were bad days, there were days that weren't so hot. And that's true of life, whether you're unwell or not. When I was first diagnosed, my husband, uh, he actually researched and found um, this support organisation called Melanoma Patients Australia. Soon after, I rang their helpline and I was then speaking to a lovely lady who had herself had melanoma. Um, and so she knew exactly how I felt, where I was coming from. I um, didn't feel... I, felt, I started to feel not as alone, which was great because you have all these emotions going on inside. So to speak to someone who knew what I was going through was, was really good. The big differences between when I was first diagnosed and uh, where I sit now are uh, phenomenal. I uh, had a mindset after I got the first diagnosis that... Uh, I wanted to stay positive and uh, look after myself, make the most of um, every possibility. Um, but I was fearful that I may not see the year out and now to have seen the year out and uh, be in a re remission stage, um, it's just, to me, it's just an amazing journey and it's a credit to the specialists involved, um, to the miracle drugs in particular. But I also like to think it's a credit to uh, my friends that have given me great support and also to some extent a credit to myself in terms of how I've approached it mentally, to try to be as positive as possible and to look after my body. Have a good talk to your doctor. Try and get as much information as you can. Write down... Uh, questions or information as you go or have your support person do that for you. Um, then go home and have a think about it, talk to your friends and family, decide then if this is the best course of action. If you're concerned, go and get a sec, organise to go and get a second opinion 
And then um, thirdly, I definitely seek out a support organisation. So you can speak to people who've already been down that road and can offer you some advice. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20, where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au and to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Graham, Alison and Ron who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.